Hacker Public Radio, the official roundtable episode number four. My name is Klaatu, and on the very exciting panel uh, with me this episode, I have a veteran of every roundtable so far, uh, Deep Geek. From Hello. Fox Geek. It's me. What's your, what are your podcasts now, Deep Geek? Or do you only have one officially? Um... I'm actually on sabbatical at HPR, so I can pop in whatever I need to, but uh, I'm also at TalkGeekToMe.us for my podcast. Uh, I also have Charles Olson from the Mintcast. Hello. Uh, Charles, what's your show about, I wonder? Uh, officially, we say it's the podcast by the Linux Mint community for all users of Linux. Uh, it's kind of aimed at people who are getting started. I know when I got started in Linux, I actually made things more difficult for myself than it needed to be. Uh, I have since found Linux is mostly easier than Windows if you know what you're doing, and that's what we try to aim at is to help others know what they're doing sooner so they don't have to uh, experience uh, the pain that I went through. Well, you... you had like a little spiel written down on a note card or something, didn't you? Actually, just the first sentence. After that, I was winging it, but uh, <laughs> actually, I should have said yes. I was totally prepared for that. Um, let's see. We have Russ Winner from the Techie Geek and formerly of DistroWatch. Do you do any more DistroWatch episodes, Russ? I still uh, post the episodes for the guest hosts, and I handle the uh, RSS feed for okay. uh, DistroWatch. That's just so I can keep my DistroWatch.com email address. Uh, very nice. And uh, the Techie Geek Podcast is a uh, podcast that covers uh, Windows and Linux, uh, servers and PCs, and just about anything else that appeals to your inner geek. To think of it as the uh, Linux podcast for Windows users. Wow, very nice. That's You snagged a good tagline there. I'll bet a lot of podcasts <laughs> yeah. are kind of jealous there, but yes, I am. good. <laughs> Uh, and then we have some guy named Seal, who doesn't even claim to be a part of any show at all. He's just a wanderer. That's me. Hi, guys. Hey, Seal. So you've done one episode for HPR, correct? Yeah, I did one on interfacing with GSM modems, and I did a few Twat Tech episodes as well. Ah, very nice. And then, last but not least, Russ from Linux, Hamshack, not to be confused with Russ from the Techie Geek. How you doing, Russ? Did we lose Russ? Am I the only one not hearing Russ? No, I don't hear him either. I don't either. We will see if he makes it back on. Um, okay, and then, I'm, like I said, I'm glad too. So, uh, okay, so this roundtable is going to be about uh, what free software applications we all use to make our life easier, or maybe that we've given to other people to make their lives easier. Maybe give us an outline of, I guess, your day-to-day tasks that you actually, you know, those apps that you actually live in and use all the time, and just it, it defines your computing experience. Um, let's start with DeepGeek. Hey, um, well, my day-to-day app, I'm going to have to start with Ice Weasel, also known as Firefox in some circles, or maybe that's vice versa. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I just, you know, can't get away from it for web browsing because the plugins I can find fit me like a glove, you know. Um, but the other things I do is mainly, you know, looking into what, where I can push Linux to go for the next level. Mm-hmm. And so I end up reading a lot of manual pages. And when it comes to reading manuals, I just love Conqueror for man pages and KPDF for PDF documents. Huh. It's, Not it's, Ocular? I haven't tried it yet. I've heard about it. I'm it's looking, really good, actually. Yeah, I'm looking to try that. Audio encoding, encoding I want to talk about. ABCDE, which stands for a better CD encoder. 
And this thing is a command line driven thing that you put a put a music disc in your in a computer and you just give it a couple of command line switches for what formats you want out. It does the rest. Nice. Okay. Walk away. It's done. Um, M Player, both for my vi- my video addiction as well as converting audio file types. Hmm. So you use Mincoder for your audio stuff. Yes. 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 And it. It, it's great. The, the great, the best thing about that—that's cross-platform. Is the great thing about that is that you know, you have, if you have the codex in your system, it it doesn't hiccup. It just changes things, does things right. It's lovely. Yeah, there's a lot of other podcasters on here. Do what? What does everyone else use for like audio encoding, especially? I'm I'm kind of partial to that kind of topic. Audacity, yeah. Oh, Audacity is yeah. a must for the editing. I hate to encode in Audacity. Yeah, me too. I was going to say, what about like the actual encoding? Like when you, I mean, I typically export out of Audacity in one thing, and then I take it to Sox or FFmpeg to yeah. get it out to some other format. I have a script that calls Og Encode, Lame, and Flack, and it calls Lame with the with the variable bit rate flags. Right. So is everyone else pretty much just using Audacity to encode, really? Yes, I do. Yeah. Audacity and Sox, yeah. Yeah, at okay. Mintcast, the whole thing is uh, Audacity. We record, edit, export everything in Audacity. Yeah, I mean, you know, Audacity... What's that? I also use Levelator. Yeah, Levelator, the Python app. Does that not break on you typically, or not really? Not really. I use oh, okay. it in Windows, so... You should check out Normalize if you ever get a chance. Normalize was one of my top picks, I guess, uh, in terms of, I mean, again, being a podcaster, the media stuff. Normalize is just a fantastic little application that does exactly what Levelator does, but it's GPL, it's command line, and it doesn't have the periodic uh, breakage that Levelator does. On Debian, I think it might be called Normalize-Audio. Yeah, that is what it's called. I've been fooling around with it. Okay. Now, my in-laws, on their win- they have Windows boxes at my in-laws. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to mention a couple of things I use. I- I've given them because I think they're good. Sure. First, first of all, with, with Windows, I'm a firm believer in replacing Internet Explorer for sec- better security. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. So I give them Opera. Oh, okay. And may, maybe some people don't know this, uh, or maybe they do. Uh, Opera works on Linux, too. Yeah, I have it on Linux. Yeah. So it's not I mean, my main one, but I have it. You know, it's, it's nice if, if, if my in-law is calling me over a web page and I can pull up Opera, which I normally don't use for browsing, and kind of know it's rendering the same way as they're looking at. Nice for a little over-the-phone troubleshooting there. And I also gave him Irfan View. Have you guys heard of this? I've heard of it. One of our listeners mentioned it. I forget what it does, though. It's a it's an image viewer, but it also scans, crops, and resizes. Oh, can it do it, like, to batches of images? Yes, it has a batch mode. Okay. But it's just, it's like a really minimalist thing, so, like, no one gets confused over a billion a billion menu items. It just you can you can look at anything in Windows. You can use the scanner in Windows. It can change sizes and flip people around, and that's kind of it. So oh. it's, it's, it doesn't have any sharp edges, as they say. What I really like about it is that uh, at work I have to deal with 200 megabyte uh, TIFF images. Uh-huh. And Irfan View is one of the only programs that can really open that without uh, dying. <laughs> what what other things did Irfan View beat out for that? Uh, all the Microsoft stuff, uh, like the one they have bundled with their office. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The GIMP would die. The GIMP would die on that one. Do you have your? Um, you probably don't have enough swap space then. I've opened up some pretty large uh, images in GIMP. 
Yeah, I, I'd have to look into that, to be honest. Although, I mean, I've never done it on Windows, so... Because you're talking about doing that on Windows, right? Yeah, but swap space, or uh, what's the Windows equivalent called uh, on the C partition? Anyways. But, I mean, that said, I mean, that what, what what's the name of the one that you guys are talking about? Whatever it is, it's going to have less of a footprint. Ear fan view? Yeah, I, or it's IR fan. It's it, it's spelled IR fan. It's actually the first name of a college guy. From, oh, okay. You know, and he was like not American, so it's not an American name. Yeah. So I I call IR fan view for the longest time until I met a Muslim gentleman who corrected me. Oh, I see. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, that's funny. So let's move to Charles and get his kind of his typical apps. I guess I just want to get and get an overview of how we all compute, and then we can start tossing in all the other good stuff. Yeah, and there there are actually a couple of unique ones. Um, use uh, Open Office. Uh, yeah. It, now at work, I have to use Microsoft Office and uh, Word. I fight with Word all day, but at home, I use Open Office, Firefox. Uh, those are my main ones. When I'm not podcasting or working, I, I like to do writing. I like writing fiction, and um, a couple of the unique ones. One is a is a for writing screenplays, an uh, open source program called Celtics. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah, uh, although it's got a annoying little bug in the Linux version right now as far as character names, but it's still completely usable. It's just a little annoying, but it, it's great for writing screenplays. You can put it out as PDF, and and then the other one I use. And y'all may laugh at this one, uh, but I use Emacs uh, with a uh, with an add-on called Org Mode, which lets you organize uh, pretty much anything. I I use it for organizing stories, and I've used it for organizing the podcast. I know a guy at the Linux Workshop here in Houston who runs his entire life and his business using uh, Emacs and Org Mode. It's a very powerful program once you learn how to use it. That's very cool. Uh, Russ, rent winner, what, what do you? have on your computer on a day-to-day basis? Well, on, on Linux, uh, the application or extension for Bash that I love to evangelize is Fish, F-I-S-H. If you've never used Fish, it's so simple to start, install. It's just apt-get install or yum install Fish. And what it does is it adds, besides a lot of other neat things, it adds tab completion for commands. Used to using tab completion for file names and whatnot, you'll just love the fact that you can tab complete commands. In addition to that, like if you can't remember the complete name of a command, just type like ls and hit tab, and you will get a um, a one-line description of what each command is. So it's like so cool for learning commands. I just love fish. So. Uh, I love to tell everybody, especially uh, newbies to uh, Linux and newbies to the command line, uh, is such a great help. Um, I also really like HTOP. I used used TOP for years, but HTOP uh, gives you so much more. It has some menu options for searching for a command, so if you're used to dropping out and doing a PS, uh, dash EF to look for commands that are running. Uh, you can just press F3 while you're in HTOP and search for that uh, app that's running. It just is is great. So they're, they're the two Linux apps I have all the time. Over on Windows, uh, for years I used the uh, Bash shell for Windows called 
portable Ubuntu for Linux. Uh, this is awesome. I love to tell people about Portable Ubuntu. It's officially known as Portable Ubuntu Remix now. And what's great about it is that uh, Ubuntu is running on your Windows machine as an application. You're not running inside a virtual machine. This is not a dual boot. You're actually running a full version of Ubuntu Linux on top of your Windows desktop. And wow, that's pretty cool. It, and you can talk directly to your NTFS partition uh, and using Terminator or just the normal uh, built-in uh, terminal in Ubuntu uh, has completely replaced SIGWIN for me. Uh, it's great. It has a very small footprint. Uh, I run it in the default, in the default uh, 256 megabytes, but you change that. So even if your machine only has, um, you know, 768 or a gig of RAM, that's plenty to run Portable Ubuntu Remix. And just last week, I'm also a big fan of portable apps that you can run on uh, USB sticks. Yeah, those yeah. I used to use, too, on the OS X a lot. The two I use all the time are Putty. Uh, if you use Windows, you're probably familiar with Putty, which is a terminal emulator you can use to uh, SSH into your Linux machines. But the portable version is great because I oftentimes sit down at people's machines that don't have, so I just pop in my USB stick. The other that I use surprisingly amount is 7-Zip, the portable version of 7-Zip. The one cross-platform app that I cannot live without is Dropbox. If you don't have a free Dropbox account, you got to get one. Seal, if I walked by your computer, what would I see? Uh, well, I'm, I do development, but uh, I work mainly on a Windows box. So I use uh, Jvim uh, and Notepad++ as text editors. For compiling, I use uh, MingW, and uh, that's for command line stuff. I've also been playing with uh, Qt a lot, which I really like. Nice. That's the uh, GUI framework from uh, Trolltech, now taken over by Nokia. It's fantastic, and it, when they say that you can take your code and uh, have it run both for Windows and Linux with just a recompile, they mean it. Um, wow, that's really cool. Yeah, you know it is. I wasn't expecting it. <laughs> like I, I thought there might be niggles, but nope. Uh, now I interface with uh, CentOS Box a lot. And so to uh, communicate with that box to SSHN from my Windows machine, I use PuTTY. Uh, to transfer files over SFTP, I use FileZilla, which I like a lot, because that's how I get to my FTP server as well. And uh, for X11 forwarding, I use Xming, which uh, resides on my Windows box. I can't... Now, I was hearing... Uh, was it Russ? You were talking about portable Ubuntu. Sounds really cool. I'm using uh, right now SIGWIN, so I'll have to check that out. And because uh, the command line sucks for Windows, I use Console 2 instead. That's what I use daily at work. That's very cool stuff. Um, I didn't know you could X forward to Windows, I guess. It's That's very cool. Seamless. Yeah, wow. it, it's seamless. You can even export your whole desktop, your GNOME session or whatever. Yeah. No problem. Okay. And the other Russ, what, uh, what's on your computer all the time? Well, I come at this from a um, system administrator point of view, because that's what I do, and we do everything in a pretty much open source environment, and my client tends to be the same whenever possible. So I use a lot of uh, 
sysadmin type tools. OpenOffice.org, of course, for uh, you know Office Suite. Um, we use uh, DocuWiki for like uh, technical support information, which is uh, you know it's a pretty good wiki as they go. Putty, of course, for uh, getting into machines and stuff, which is what I spend a lot of my time doing. VNC as well, even into Windows machines where RDP is sometimes problematic. VNC is a good way to go. We use Bacula as a backup manager, which is a really good one. Like I would, I would consider an enterprise class for backup for open source. And uh, the real ones out there tend to be pretty expensive, so Bacula is a great solution for that. From podcasting angle, you know, over at Linux and the Hamshack, I don't do a lot of stuff outside of Audacity. I use Audacity for pretty much everything. I use Socks. Um, whenever I have to encode something outside of the Audacity framework. I use the GIMP a lot for, you know, photo editing. That's been a great thing. I used to have to find an old copy of uh, Paint Shop, I think it was, I was using before the GIMP, but ever since that came along, I've been sort of sold on it. I'm not sure I should mention this, but I really like Handbrake. It's a good one-shop solution for what it does. Well, what is that last one for those of us not familiar with it? The DVD ripper. Oh, okay. But it's um, you basically tell it what format you want to rip the DVD into, whether you want it to be like YouTube Flash or H.264 or whatever. You put the DVD in, click a button, and walk away. And when you come back, you you know you have a, a video. So it's pretty cool. Um, I also like OpenSwan, which is a VPN uh, client and server architecture, uh, which is nice. Oh, it's good to have a free and open source one of those. And I think that's all I had on my list. But that's, that's a pretty good list. So the OpenSwan one is, is Windows and Linux as well? Um, I'm not sure. I, I only use it on Linux. I don't know if it has a Windows version or not. Oh, okay. I'm hearing a couple of different categories here. Let's talk first about the very exciting world of text editing because um, a lot of people have actually mentioned something for it, whether it's OpenOffice or something like GVim. The, the text editors, I mean that are available for both platforms, for instance. Do you find that they pretty much, I mean, it's pretty much just the same application on both uh, environments, right? So you could, you can go from Linux to Windows and use, for instance, GVim or OpenOffice, and there's no learning curve if you are used to using it on, or rather do it on Linux, and then, you know, if you're doing it on Windows, they're both the same, right? Or are there exceptions to that? Almost completely. The the one thing that that I saw different in OpenOffice is file locations. Uh, Ah, yeah. But uh, as far as the, the, I mean, I've taken files, but my Windows files and put them on Linux in OpenOffice, and I think all the commands were exactly the same. It's just not like I use templates a lot, so I have to put them somewhere and knowing where to do that. Uh, it, it wasn't at all difficult, it was just, but it was different. Someone, I, I forget who it was, but someone was talking about how they had to use Microsoft Office at work. Yes, that and, was me. Okay, that's what I thought. I'm, I'm wondering how possible, like in previous jobs that I've worked, you know, they'll come to me and say, you have to use, you know, such and such an application for for this job. And I'll say, yeah, okay, no problem. And then as soon as they're out of the room, I'll launch up OpenOffice or something like that and just use what I want to anyway. Is it possible to do that in, like, your environment or in, in other environments? Or are there literally things so specialized to, for instance, Microsoft Office that you it's, just can't get around it? In our case, it is not that it's so specialized, but they have it locked down where you can't install anything. Oh, okay. I, I used to be help desk supervisor, so I had more power, and I actually did use what I wanted then. I've uh, 
but uh, about three years ago I was offered a much less stressful job there as a yeah. trainer. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a supervisor anymore, but uh, I also don't have my help desk powers, and I have to live with their software specifically, and uh, and actually would probably get in a lot of trouble if I was caught with anything else on there. Even if it would, right. even if it would perfectly function and get the job done, you're just you just don't write anything to your C drive, period, and you don't install, and um, that's the way it is there. Yeah, okay. I work for a very large company that's like $2 billion a year, and the reason they won't allow us to uh, run OpenOffice, because we've had this discussion, is that uh, it goes towards, they have like official products that the company supports, mm-hmm. and we, we can't, we're not allowed to deviate from that, and in order to even switch to anything else, you first have to go through X number of levels of management. Wow. So in our case, it, it's really... I have admin access on my computer, so I've installed it, but on an official perspective, it's not its not allowed at our company. And is that how you're swinging GVIM, for instance? Yeah. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, I, I kind of ignore all the rules. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they didn't sanction me doing what I did either, but they didn't have my computer locked down, so I got to do what I wanted to. Exactly, but from I wouldn't be able to, like our office officially if would not be allowed to switch to open office. Right, okay. And what about the um, this VPN thing? I'm kind of curious about that. We we open, we open mentioned OpenSwan, and someone else had something else for a VPN, I think. I mean, the only one I've ever used is OpenVPN, I think is what it's called on Linux. Is that pretty uh, much comparable? That's just the client? Well, I think uh, OpenVPN is actually PPTP, is it not? Uh, you, could, you, you got me. <laughs> <laughs> I'd have to look it up to find out, but OpenSwan is uh, is an IPsec VPN oh, okay. as opposed to HTTP. Nice. Okay. So OpenSwan. I'm gonna have to remember that one. Yeah, it's pretty nice. It started out as FreeSwan. Uh, Seal the whole Qt thing, the whole Qt cross compiling between Windows and Linux, and it just kind of, I guess, working out of the box. So you found how much development in with Qt have you done so far? Uh, I've done. They've asked me to port all these command line programs over to uh, GUI. So I've done maybe about a month and a half worth of... Wow. Yeah, no, it, it's a fantastic thing. Uh, it doesn't... They support a lot of compilers. Because what they do is Qt generates C++ code. Like, you program in C++, they've got some things which aren't part of standard C++, and they generate that. They turn it into real code. So okay. then when a compiler takes it in, it, it just it works. I've used it with uh, MingW, which is the Windows port of GCC, and I've used it with uh, Microsoft's uh, Visual C++ compiler. And uh, in both cases, the programs are identical. In Linux, it works evidently with uh, GCC. They also support like Intel's compiler, ICC. So yeah, it's it's pretty cool. It looks native to each platform. So every, I mean. The look that you see, you know, in GNOME or on Windows looks like any other application you'd expect to see. And, uh, yeah, it's just they provide a lot of high-level um, classes, which just make someone's life really, really easy. Uh, and the documentation they include is great. So, yeah, I have nothing but good things to say at this point. Uh, maybe once I get further in, then I'll see, I'll, I'll have more experience to talk about the negatives. Yeah, yeah, I would I would be interested in hearing more about that from someone who knows what they're doing. I mean, I I read all the propaganda, but I have no idea um you know whether they're just I mean, I've, I I use KDE every day, so obviously I'm I'm very interested in in 
in the cute toolkit, but I am interested in hearing it from someone who's doing it for, you know, non-KDE work. I think that's always interesting. Yeah, well, in Linux, actually, I use the GNOME environment, and no problems, right? Like, it it, it works just fine, and it doesn't have to be KDE. Wow, cool. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, Skype, I think that is written in in the Qt, with the Qt uh, toolkit. Um, I had another thought. Oh, yeah, how many of you guys have come from, like, okay, you've got all these free applications that you're using all the time. How many of those did you bring over from Windows or, or your previous OS with you? Uh, are there other applications that you actually started out with on, on a non-Linux platform? Yeah, in my case, uh, I actually was using, of course, Firefox. OpenOffice, uh, Thunderbird, and GIMP, and Celtics. I was using all of those in Windows uh, before I moved over to Linux. Yeah, that's that's pretty close to my list for, for what I was using on OS X. For me, it was the web browsers, uh, Mozilla, which is, which is Firefox later on, and yeah. Opera. You didn't use anything else? Those were the only two? Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I mean, once I became a Linux user, I, 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 I grew a habit of having keeping a few Encurses kind of web browsers on my system just in case. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I, I love that stuff because, believe it or not, I've had to use. I mean, they've bailed me out of a couple of situations sometimes. Yeah, I, I learned early the value of of being being ready for X server not to want to start for whatever reason. <laughs> right, yeah. So there, there's just a few things I just keep, even though I, I never use, and, and one is Links 2. That actually works in both graphical. Uh, the other is Word Grinder, which is a, a full word processor. I've never really used it, but like it's nice to know there's a full word processor for end curses. What's wrong with Vim? Um, Vim, well, it's, it's really just a text editor. I mean, for text editor, I, I'm a nano guy myself. And uh, I keep MC, Midnight Commander, back there. Right, right. You know, just in case, which corresponds really to how I use BSoft Commander graphically, especially for FTP protocol stuff. So, I mean, but that's kind of the same thing. You've got the two, the two panes, even in, the G, in, in, um, in uh, BSoft Commander, whereas for Rocks Filer, you have to, if you want to transfer from one to another, you have to open up two Rocks windows and then drag and drop. Right. So it depends on, you know, I guess how you want to get to it. Yeah, I'm more accustomed to just opening up the two windows and dragging and dropping. But I know a lot of people, I guess, kind of were used to the... What, so it was originally called BSoft Commander? Is that what it was called? Well, BSoft Commander, as I said, is the graphic version of the two-pane two uh, file management program. Okay. So you can FTP with that, or you can just have two directories on your local system. Yeah. Now, I, for a while, I used um, FileZilla when mm-hmm. I was using... SFTP transfers. That was that was interesting. That's supposed to be cross-platform. I don't know if anyone else has any real experience with it, though. I think I used it on OS X at one point. Yeah, I use uh, FileZilla in Windows and Linux all the time. I'm not sure which one I used it first. Poser is another application I used in Windows first. Used to, I guess NView is still around. Yeah. Poser is a less buggy implementation of NView, I guess. And uh, VLC... Yeah, of course. Use by default uh, audio player, and, and yeah, that's a great one. Do you actually use it to ever uh, transcode anything? Yeah, or you, yeah. When you were yeah. asking, uh, do we ever use anything but Audacity? Uh, VLC is one that I have used. The the main reason, well, there's two reasons I record my podcasts in Windows. One is my main machine is Linux. While I'm recording, I like. I like the machine that's doing recording to be doing nothing but recording. I have a Windows laptop that's actually for my uh, engineering consulting. That's pretty much a dedicated laptop, but I do run Audacity on it. 
so I'm, I'm recording there. And um, when you transcode OGS, at least in the Windows version of Audacity, it does weird things. One of the things that's weird, I don't know if you ever noticed it, it gets the timestamp all messed up. It'll say, like, 35-minute long podcast when it's really an hour and 10 minutes long. Um, what about email clients? I mean, obviously, we all use some email client. What are, what are we using out there? Claws. Really? Yeah, I like Claws a lot. Now, that's a GUI one, right? Yeah, that's a GUI one. Uh, when, if, I, if I need to do ma- um, command line, which, is like, like I said, I have a little backup command line app, I use Mail Handler. MH. Oh, okay, MH. I hadn't heard of that one, actually. I'm surprised, because you read Unix Philosophy, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah, it was mentioned, and there was a case study. Oh, is that the one they said was horrible? No, that's the one they said <laughs> was, was was the case study they used for how you can ha- have a different front ends for the same functions, command line functions. Oh, okay, so and they, they were comparing that to just the mail, the regular mail. Yeah, command. so... Yeah, so okay, I do remember that. The, the, the cool thing about about Phil, about Feed clause or clause is that it also does the MH format. So I set the MH format and I can uh, look at the files from both things, either the command line or the GUI. Nice. And uh, clause has, you know, you can just drop in uh, add ons like for whatever you want. Like I use clause as my RSS reader too. Sure. Fantastic. Okay, cool. I'll have to try that one out maybe sometime. Because I mean, I've heard of it. I just never, never understood what the the big deal about it was. Yeah, that and its themeability. Um, it's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing on the on the GUI. Can okay. Claws handle uh, multiple uh, accounts? Multiple accounts to check into Mail Four? Yes. Okay. Um, once once it has its its home folder for for Mail, it kind of it doesn't like to move that. I've had to do some things with um, with soft links to move things around after I've configured Claws. But uh, that's, you know, probably just my weirdness, you know, because I fool around with different partitions and stuff like that. Most people would never have to do that. Yeah, for myself, I'm primarily using Thunderbird. Well, actually, I'm primarily using the web mail, but I want it, when I'm sitting at my desk at home, I would like to do it in an email client. I'm using Thunderbird, but I just don't feel completely satisfied with it, and I'm not really sure why, and I'm trying out everything else. Um, Evolution seemed too bulky and slow. Uh, Claws is one I just installed but haven't set up yet. Claws is nice because it's fast. I started using K-Mail, and it just took too long to start. That drove me bonkers. It just, (laughs) I mean, okay, this is Linux. You know, I click on the menu. Okay, start already. Okay, that's, I hate to rant, sorry, I'm, I'm ranting, Wait, let me, deep breaths here, okay. Um, <laughs> but Claws, you know, it, it kicks off, it uses just the plugins you specify, I think you'll love it. But, uh, but yeah, the multiple accounts is one thing, because I have my account, and I have the Mintcast account, and I have a couple others that I use for sort of spam catcher, but I need to watch them. And, um. It'll do that, I mean... I, I have it doing my local mail um, as well as checking. I have uh, uh, my regular accounts on my regular ISP, which you know I wish I didn't have, but that they just give you that so they can communicate with you. Then I have the ones on my own domain, and uh, it, it just handles it fine. And the filtering is great. Um, I also have a, th- a, a thing where I have some filtering commands running on the web server, and there's a there's a uh, secret account. So, like, it knows certain from addresses. It pulls them over to to a second account automatically. Huh. So, in that one, I can pull the, I pull down that too as a separate thing. And I, what I do with that is I like to have my uh, my little email icon on my menu on my taskbar, link into that one, and I get spam free from my 50 best friends on the web. You know, it's just them. They can only set that off. It's nice. 
Huh, okay. For me, I use uh, Thunderbird as well, mostly, and I've um, used it so much now, I'm just really adept at getting through it and uh, dealing with its idiosyncrasies, so I I like that a lot. But from the command line, I'm a pretty big fan of uh, one that's free as in beer, but not GPL, uh, which is Pine. And... Are you using a Pine or Alpine? Uh, just Pine, um, which, if you're familiar with Nano, um, is really easy to use and really easy to get around in. And then I think it was Charles mentioned uh, Webmail. Um, we, we provide Webmail at work, and we use SquirrelMail, which is a GPL Webmail client or Webmail server, which is uh, really nice and uh, really, really easy to configure, too. If somebody wanted to set up SquirrelMail on a home Linux server, get it up so that they have, you know, webmail access to their own email. Uh, it's really easy to do that. Alpine is still under development. I believe Pine is no longer developed. I could be wrong on that. And then Thunderbird version 3 is coming, too. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. You know, I tried that on a test machine, and, um, you know, just for kicks. I didn't really see the big differences, to be honest. I mean, they, I, hmm. it. I mean, there were some nice touches, like if someone sent you an address, it would pop up and offer you to, or rather, if you rolled over that address, it would pop up and kind of help you get that into your address book the easiest and quickest way that you could, or, you know, things like that. But I don't know, I didn't I didn't see the big improvements, like what I would have wanted, what I wanted to see, like integration with uh, OpenPGP or GNU GPG, stuff like that. I don't know, I didn't see a big difference. Oh, okay. Well, it has that, PGP and Open, uh, GNU GPG. Mm-hmm. But you said it was very modular, so I kind of figured it did. Oh, okay. I mean, I guess Thunderbird, Thunderbird you can add it in as well. But actually, this this leads into a question that I did have. I'm not that huge of a, a big fan of Thunderbird, yet at the same time, I'm always putting it on people's machines. You know, when I'm setting up for a friend, you know, they need email client on OS X, you know, I'll dump the mail app and give them Thunderbird, partly because I trust Thunderbird more than Apple's mail and partly because I'm more familiar with Thunderbird than Apple's mail. So how many of you... Or, or what are we all doing, I guess, when we're setting up machines, you know, for the in-laws or for the friends or whatever? I mean, are we giving them some of the apps that we're talking about, or how are we managing this? And, and how important is it that we do, I mean, for support and stuff? You know, you have to, you, you can't always give them the full-fledged geek software. Right. Yeah. You know, geek software can be so prosaic. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I, you know, on the other hand, I was also for quite a while a uh, a pack rat, and you know, when uh, I set up a computer at my in-laws, they they're still using an old free version of Calypso. You know, just they know it. Who's going to write a virus for it? I stick it on there. What what can I say? I'm lazy. I want I want them to be happy and not complain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, I guess that's the primary concern is that the person you are administering the computer for, you know, you leave them happy. You know, they're, they're satisfied with what they've gotten. I do think Thunderbird probably is a good choice for email client for people like that. It's, it is simple. It's uh, pretty solid, easy to use. Um, so I think that is a good choice for not... And it's got the, it's got the brand recognition. You know, you, you say, right. oh, it's by the same people who do Firefox, and that puts their mind at ease. You know, they're like, oh, okay, cool. I'm comfortable yeah. with that. Although maybe and while it's not you know, Express, uh, it looks similar enough that people aren't intimidated by it. I always install uh, Firefox, um, mostly because it self-updates, and I don't have to worry about vulnerabilities as much as Internet Explorer 6, Thunderbird, and uh, VLC, because... One of yeah. the, just the fact that you don't have to worry about codec, because often case the question is, I can't open this video. And in 95% of the cases, it's because 
Speed didn't have the codec, right? They didn't have XBit or whatnot. So that's just yeah, sure. a worry right out. That's about it, though. I don't. I mean, I don't have anything else I would impose on people. What about OpenOffice? I mean, don't people ever ask you for 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 a copy of Microsoft Office? If yeah, I'll install that if they ask for it. But if they have Office already, I'm not going to replace. Oh, sure, sure. You can yeah. install OpenOffice if they have Office already. I don't see. I don't see the point. Well, again, it it goes back to what's your primary goal. I'd like to interject something. Okay. Um, you know, I don't want to step on anyone, but I'm I've also been listening to to Nightwise's Nightcast, and he makes a very good point where you got to make sure that you don't accidentally help somebody do something pirated. So if you're installing a Windows box and they're asking you to install something that has to be bought, purchased, licensed, registered, and they don't give you the key, yeah. refuse it, because when something goes wrong and they have to point a finger, they're going to point at you. Exactly. Well, I absolutely agree with that, yeah. I will not do that because, I mean, just because, yeah, I mean, I don't feel comfortable putting on a pirated version of something, not knowing what's going to go wrong, what they're going to need to go do, and, and then they're going to call you if it breaks anyway, you know. Yeah, and then you um, have to support something you don't use. Yeah, you know, so, yeah, if they ask me for Office, I say, well, here's Open Office, and I don't go into the whole spiel about Richard Stallman is God. No, and no they can't done. take that. You know, I just say, look, this one's free, and it does exactly the same thing, and then I open up one of their documents in it, they see that it all looks the same, and, and, and to them it is the same, and, and that's the end of the, the conversation, really. I have a question for you guys. Have you guys ever been blamed that because you installed an open source program on their computer, now it's doing something bad that they, they did not like? It doesn't have to be open source. You just have to have touched it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, but back in the old days, that's what happened to me. But I've learned. I mean, I just don't do anything unless they specifically, specifically ask for it. Because generally, the times I would get into trouble is when I would say, well, I'll just throw this on there for them. And then it all comes back to, like, what's that weird app, that weird icon that, that got there, you know? Is that the problem? That that kind of thing. But otherwise, I don't think I've run into that too much anymore. I think they're more giving about these days. You know, I think it's just they're getting used to the computer situation. That they're just knowing, you know. And also, th I think people have a tendency if they see something, they don't open anymore. Whereas we used to click everything we saw. Mm -hmm. And maybe the maybe the virus training has gotten us not to be too exploratory on with strange icons other people may have installed on our desktops. And I don't find that to be true. People will click on anything on their computer, uh, at least the people I'm supporting. I mean, they will call me up with problems. I'm just like, how did you ever find your way to that little obscure utility that you're not supposed to ever touch? And of course, you know, <laughs> really? you went in and, and found it and, and, you know, locked yourself out of your computer or something. Yeah. I want to know it's a funny story. My mom got a phishing email. About, uh, this was about a year ago. She got a phishing email for Bank of America, which we don't have in Canada. So <laughs> she proceeded to create an account with this fake Bank of America and, and give them all her information, which I fortunately, she called me up for support because she wasn't sure about what she was supposed to put in. Avert <laughs> 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 the situation, but I'll, I have to agree with Platu that for some people, yeah, that has not settled in at all and will never. But, yeah, what you said about the users clicking everything, but people I've supported actually are, are the opposite of that. They will click only the one thing that you show them they need to click, and they don't. They may not even know what it is. Uh, when I was help desk, I had people call and say they're having a problem. I say, well, what are you clicking? And I say, well, I'm clicking the third one. <laughs> <laughs> and if, if 
be, and I could finally finally get it out, and it was the third icon down. They don't know what it was, and something had happened and moved it. So there was a different thing now that was the third icon down, and but and so they couldn't launch their software anymore. Wow. So we figured that out and put that one back as the third one. <laughs> There's still an intimidation factor with computers, I think, and people, the average user comes in two groups. One is the, I'll, I'll click anything, pseudo randomly yeah. see if it works, and then there's the one who, if something doesn't look exactly the way you showed them or wrote it down on a piece of paper, they become paralyzed. Exactly. <laughs> so do the free apps tend to help us uh, help these users in general, or is it just a question of what we're most familiar with? I think it helps. Uh, in the case, like I was mentioning earlier with DLC, it really takes the headache out. Uh, with what you guys were saying about uh, not installing pirated software and saying, hey, we have open office, having that, that avenue even possible, I think is a big positive. Yeah. So I, I find that people who are non-geeks seem to respect authority a lot, a lot more than people who are geeks because uh, when I'm supporting my in-laws, anything their school tells them to install, they will install, period. You know, it's like some kind of weird kind of, Google says I have to be running Adobe Player 9, whatever. It's just no stop, no going against, you know. An elementary school teacher knows more about computers than me. Yes, I know. Okay, it's, 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 I find it demeaning myself, but, you know, there's just no fighting it, I guess. What do you guys use to listen to uh, music with? Predacious and Og123. Um, Totem, Banshee, Zine. Whatever the default is in Linux, man, I don't listen to that much music, and I'm not even sure what it is. Gameplayer, I guess. What I would or like a rhythm box. What I would like to know about is radio stations that also netcast, especially if they use some kind of weird Microsoft thing. What do you got to do to get that from the Linux side? Any ideas for me? What do you mean by weird Microsoft thing? Like some kind of real audio. I mean, that's not Microsoft, but is that what you mean? Like a real audio format, for instance? That yeah, some kind of yeah. format that, like... M-Player won't suck down. That's a good question. I, I don't really listen to that much. I mean, M-Player usually solves the problem for me. I found I found something interesting with, with one station that's maybe 100 miles away. They play 90s rock, so I want them, right? So they have, they, they recommend something called Moonshine or something from Microsoft. I'm like, no. You know, but I find that using Moz Plugger and Firefox that it will kick off mPlayer in the background and be able to suck down the feed. But if I try to give mPlayer that feed, feed URL myself, I can't make it go. Weird. Oh, what about VLC? Have you tried it in VLC? Yeah, but it, it, it seems to want to install all of GNOME, and I'm a KDE person. What? VLC wants to install GNOME? Maybe it's in Debian. I see a whole bunch of GNOME settings managers and stuff about to go in and stuff, and I Weird. back out. Yeah. Just get it. Get the source or something from the site. Yeah. Is, is it GNOME or like the GTK stuff? I think it's GTK stuff I'm referring to. As a matter of fact, you know what? Let me just bring up the next terminal real fast. That makes a lot more yeah. sense. You're probably going to have to install some of the GTK stuff to get it to work. I'm pretty sure there's a command line only version or uh, method, but I don't know if you can only install the command line. Uh, App get install VLC requires the following gconf, gconf2, um, a bunch of different libraries, which are fine. You know, uh, the the GNOME notification daemon. Oh, wow. I'm you know. I, did, I never noticed that. I mean, I always install it blindly, but, yeah. Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I have very little GNOME stuff installed on my system, so I kind of stay away. But VLC, sometimes I actually see VLC recommended by radio stations' websites. 
just uh, download the deb and depackage I it and see if it breaks. I'll have to try that. Yeah, maybe just downloading it straight from their site might do it better than doing my repository thing you're saying, right? Well, you can just download the deb and install the deb by itself, do a force, you know, install it, and then you may have to run it from the command line to get it to run, but it may run. Of course, there's some libraries in there you're obviously going to need. Oh, I see what you're saying. It's, it's, so, so that gets around getting all that GNOME configuration stuff. Okay. Yeah, but, you know, you, you're probably it's probably going to break because... Some of those dependencies you do need, while some of them I'm sure you don't. Yeah. And if it does break, you can call you then for support. <laughs> <laughs> Your mileage may vary. I, you know. I'll yeah. just back out. Don't worry about me. <laughs> <laughs> I guess we could throw out one. Uh, if uh, for those of us in Linux who, uh, if there is some program, Windows program, we can't live without, uh, Wine is good. I I had one in Windows called InfoSelect. It was an awesome note-taking program. I've never seen anything else anywhere near as good. And uh, I'm not putting anything else in it, but I have 20 years of notes in InfoSelect, so I can't give it up yet. And it, it runs almost flawlessly in Wine. I've done some other things in Wine. Some work, some don't. But uh, when it works, it's a, it's a nice program for that one Windows thing you can't give up. Are these text notes that could be replaced by something like Tomboy? Uh, yes. Uh, Tomboy is what I'm using now for new notes. I just have thousands of them in InfoSelect uh, that I haven't tried to move over yet, and I'm 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 not certain Tomboy can handle that many. I don't know if there's a limit to it or a practical limit, or I've just been nervous to try to move it over. Yeah, I I, I do keep a uh, virtual machine of Windows 2000 lying around just for like some old games. I use QEMU. You know, it's not too hard to set up. Yeah, cool. yeah, Q QEMU. I mean, we both. I know you and I both use it. Yeah. I mean, that is a really great emulator. I use it for all my uh, emulation experiments. Uh, I'd like to know about, in Linux, what can you use for calendaring? Because I used to use the calendar that came with K-Mail, mm -hmm. and now I want something that stands alone without sucking in all of the K-Mail things. I think it was yeah. K-Calendar, so I'm, any recommendations? Well, there is that Lightning plug-in for Thunderbird, but that's assuming you want to install Thunderbird. Well, if there might be anything a sort a sort um from like a standalone the app or something. Yeah, that's so that yeah. might be something that stood alone. This and this doesn't help you. Uh, I have a, to the G1 phone using Google, and uh, Google Calendar is pretty nice too. And Steve, you're okay with putting all your information on Google server, right? Oh, oh you know me, Clatu. <laughs> <laughs> I think what we really need is like a Perl script that'll just spit out a bunch of HTML pages that look like calendars. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah. and then you could just like, you know, take that file wherever because, you know, your HTML... I've never tried it, but Mozilla has Sunbird. Sunbird? Sunbird, yeah, I remember that, the hearing about that. Sunbird. Yeah, it's just a, it's like the calendaring part of their, you know, the Mozilla suite separated yeah, out. I had forgotten about that. I, I I did try that at one point, I think, but I'm just not into calendaring, so I, I just couldn't get into it. But if I recall correctly, it was kind of nifty. The only thing I see in the Debian repository is OpenSync plugin Sunbird, OpenSync Mozilla calendar Ice Owl plugin. Yeah, that's probably it. Ice Owl, yeah, that's probably the uh, Debian version because of the licensing thing, or you can just get it from Mozilla. Ice Owl, huh. Standalone calendar, Ice Owl, standalone calendar application. Ice Owl is a Mozilla-based calendar application. The goal is to produce a cross-platform calendar using the XUL. That's what the, that's what Ice Weasel is built on. Ice Owl leaves a somewhat small memory footprint than the Mozilla suite. Ah, that might be a good one. I'll have to give that a shot. 
Thanks, guys. You kind of found it yourself, but I did say Sunbird. I'll take credit. Thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> to uh, download podcasts, uh, what do you guys use? I use uh, Juice, which I like. A little slow, but it does the job. Uh, I use going to the site and clicking on the link. And <laughs> that's a horribly inefficient way. I really need to get something better. I, I had started to use G Potter, but when I, but I got the when I got the G1 phone, there was an application called Dog Catcher that downloads, plays them, and everything. So I haven't bothered doing it on the main computer anymore. I used Podget for a while, which was written in. In Bash, it's kind of like a Debian version of Bash Potter. But I'm actually thinking, I was looking at Bash Potter the other day, and I'm actually thinking of, of modifying it because I'd really love to use it with Area 2, which is a concurrent command line downloading program, because uh, I hate it when it's just downloading from one podcast yeah, after another. That just sucks. That sounds like a great idea. It shouldn't be too hard either. Bash Potter, I, I was looking at the script, and I was like, wow, it is such a short script. Yeah, I need to start <laughs> using it for myself. I use Rhythmbox and uh, just the podcatch and move everything over to my Santa clip. I use proprietary evil, so I'll show up about it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't tell me you use iTunes. I do, actually. Oh, man. It's <laughs> the worst application ever. Switch to Songbird. Do me that favor. Or can you, because the media player doesn't. No, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at various other options. I just, you know, I'm kind of stuck with iTunes right now. One thing I've noticed about the way Apple programs, it seems like when they write something for Windows, they deliberately make it horrible. So you want to use Apple? <laughs> no, no, it's horrible anyway. It's, it's horrible <laughs> on their own OS. That is the worst application man. ever. I remember when my nieces had that, and they would ask me for help, and I was just lost. Yeah, I know. It's the. I mean, I can't believe they call it a music management program at all. I mean, it's just so. You, you know, I, I, is, is it is it me or like I still think five uh, folders on a disk drive is the best thing for managing music files. Absolutely. I mean, it's just the most I, logical way of doing it. You know, I used to use what was what was audacious the replacement for? Um, but they 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 went over to that. They went over that thing where it's like you have to have a playlist, you have to program playlists. Yeah, I hate that. Why? <laughs> Why can't yeah. just drop into a directory and hit go? Yeah. <laughs> XMMS. That was it. XMS and XMS two. You know, you had to like pick a client and then you had to write a playlist and like you know picking the client was hard enough. And then they ask you to write a playlist, and then I gave up, you know? It's like, no, I don't want to do this. I want it to be simple, you know? I want it to be simple. How's that for a sound by clap, too? I want it to be simple. I was interested to know what people use for uh, remote support, whether it's VNC, log me in. What is, what's everybody use? Are you going to try to pitch us a go-to meeting now, Russ? <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, okay, just making sure this wasn't like a trick, you know, a trick question. <laughs> Very, very perceptive, but <laughs> my 30-day free trial ran out, so... Oh, okay. I haven't actually used it, but one of our listeners wrote in and mentioned a, a website called Yugu, uh, spelled Y-U-U-G-U-U, and the way she described it sounded uh, pretty cool and pretty easy for uh, doing support, remote support. That's cool. How do you spell it again? Uh, Y-U-U-G-U-U. Cool, okay. Dot com. If the person I'm doing remote support with doesn't already have a log me in account uh, that I can get in, uh, Team Viewer, T E A M Viewer, great in Windows. The person you're helping does not need to install anything on their computer. Go to TeamViewer.com 
click on Get Team Viewer. Uh, if they're using Internet Explorer, it might ask them to run an ActiveX, then it gives them a uh, user number and a password number to read the person that's going to give them remote support. You put that in, and then they're asked, this person wants to take control of your machine, they have to grant you control. And then for that one session, uh, you can control their machine. It works great. And then when you disconnect, that session goes away. Yeah, that's that's nice. I, I use, uh, when I'm supporting other people on Linux, I just use KRDC in, in KDE, and that's how it does it as well. You get the password or whatever, uh, and they, they enter or, and they give it to you, and you enter it in or however it works. So that, that one's pretty cool. I did use the Mac OS thing that they've got now, and that's kind of a problem because what it does is it pipes. I think you have to have their little paid service anyway in order to use it, but what it, it does start piping like audio without the person's knowledge, and so you're sitting there uh, supporting them, and they're like swearing at you under their breath, you know, <laughs> not realizing that you can hear them, and you're kind of like too embarrassed to tell them, I can hear everything going on. <laughs> so, yeah, that was really awkward. Uh, you could hear worse things while you're supporting someone's computer, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, everyone, I guess that uh, probably wraps up the call. And these are good applications to know about. Thanks for the for the discussion. And uh, next roundtable will be sometime next month. I'll be sending an email out. If you want to get on the email list so that you can get invited to a roundtable, just let me know. You can email me at klatu at hackerpublicradio.org. Uh, anyone's welcome to join, and uh, love to have you on. So thanks for listening to Hacker Public Radio. Thank you for listening to Hacker Public Radio. HPR is sponsored by caro.net, so head on over to caro.net for all your hosting needs.